Everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald. Welcome to today's show, all about your brain. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm the director of Longevity Services at Integrated Nutrition, which is in Mount Kisco, New York, and Westchester. That's about an hour north of New York City. And in my office, I've been dealing with nutrition related to all sorts of brain issues for my 26 or so year career. Now, this is Ask the Blood Detective. That is the title of this show. Because you've asked and you wanted to know more about the brain, I am more than happy to discuss it. Now, when I think of the brain, the first thing that comes to mind because of my concern in the healthcare industry is dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So clearly we're going to discuss today some very real applications of a variety of nutritional and, and dietary uh, compounds that have been shown in either the medical literature and or the nutritional literature in human studies and in animal studies to help promote a healthier type of brain aging. Now, we can avoid aging, obviously, but there are particular changes in the brain that can occur with aging but do not necessarily occur at the same rate in different people. Men and women have lots of differences. There are differences among women, of course, and there are differences among men in terms of hormones and nutritional needs. And then there's our genetic backgrounds that help determine how are we susceptible to our particular type of brain aging. We'll talk today about mutations in certain enzymes and how they oxidize, meaning they break down, they don't work, that cause breakdown of the brain and the brain cells, which are the neurons. We'll talk about a variety of nutritional compounds that probably anyone listening to this show has probably heard before. Omega-3 fatty acids like DHA and activated folic acid and B12. We'll talk in a general sense about various plant product combinations which contain elements that have been shown to help offset and or delay and in some cases reverse aging in the brain. When we age, in general, we tend to atrophy. That's a fancy term for we simply tend to break down. And the brain, of course, a three-pound universe, as it's called, is no exception to that. So the brain atrophies, and it's simply called brain atrophy by doctors and, and, and neurologists. As you know, neurologists are supposed to be the, the brain specialists from a clinical perspective. And every neurologist recognizes the concept of brain atrophy. There's something known as minimal brain dysfunction, which is sort of a general term for how the brain can, uh, the brain's various functions become more and more compromised over time. That could look like chronic fatigue. It can look like weakness in your muscles. Let's back up for a moment. Think of your body, a picture of your body laid on top of the brain. Now, although this analogy is not entirely scientifically correct, where your different body parts lay on top of that large brain you're laying on would be the areas of the brain 
that control that part of the body. So, for example, if you can imagine that huge six-foot big huge brain in the middle of your living room and you jump on top of that and turn around so your head's facing the ceiling, if you were to jab a fork under your head into that part of the brain, let's say in the eye area, what I'm suggesting to you now is that that's the area in the brain, the nerves of which go to the eye. And where your foot and ankle and your low back are laying, those are the areas of the brain that control those functions. This is actually called a homunculus in neurology, which basically means there's a map of the, of the human body laid on top of the brain that is perfectly associated with the parts of the brain, the locations on the brain that control certain parts of the body. So why do we care about this? Well, if someone has a stroke in a certain area of the brain, that might affect the right leg, particularly if the stroke occurred on the left side or left hemisphere of the brain. You know, by the way, an interesting uh, tidbit here is that we actually have two brains. We have a right lobe and we have a left lobe. And they act independently, but they also have cross-communication, very different than a cat's brain, which is more like one brain in its function. But the higher mammals, which we supposedly are, have developed really two brains. Now, back to this concept of brain aging or brain atrophy or minimal brain dysfunction. All of that encompasses things like the spectrum disorders, autism, possibly Tourette's syndrome, but also schizophrenia and bipolar disease, depression, multiple sclerosis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, all sorts of neurologic issues. You name it, they're far too numerous to mention today. Now, I will give specific examples in a moment of certain conditions and specific nutrition, but this is the key to get from the show today. This is the takeaway. Are you listening? Please write it down. Is that no matter what we diagnose or call the health problem of the brain that we want to manage, whether we call it stroke or whether we call it multiple sclerosis, etc., we want to keep in mind that the brain requires specific nutrition to maintain its structure and therefore its function. The brain is made mostly of fats. Omega-3 fatty acids are an important part of the cell membranes of the neurons of the brain. So therefore, as we age, if we do not meet our omega-3 fatty acid needs, our brain, think of our brain like a sponge, it might shrink if you suck the water out of it, if it sucked of DHEA, or DHA, I should say, which is the omega-3. DHEA, by the way, is an adrenal hormone, and that has also been shown to offset brain aging. I would never suggest that any one nutritional compound can do this alone, but many have been shown to produce this trend in studies. So the concept of nutritional synergism, how to combine nutrients together, always makes the most sense. So we don't over-rely on any one nutritional compound and thinking it's necessarily more or less useful than another. So the takeaway, I'll finish that sentence, is all of the nutrition that I'm mentioning today is important no matter what the diagnosis, but maybe to a different dose or extent given the diagnosis, given that individual's other health issues and medication considerations, there are factors 
other than a scientific study that tell us what nutrients to consider. So the first practical nutritional concept I want to introduce to you is simply that if you don't have adequate nutrition, adequate proteins, carbohydrates, and healthy fats in your diet, then you might promote brain dysfunction. You might accelerate how your brain might genetically age all on its own. There have been studies that have shown that persons with malabsorption disorders, whether it's celiac disease or some protein energy malnutrition, not enough protein in the diet, or uh, conditions where there may be low levels of pancreatic enzymes, so healthy fats aren't absorbed, all tend to perpetuate accelerated aging. So before you pop a ginkgo or a DHA, we need to first examine the basic dietary intake of anyone with any sort of health problem related to the brain. And now keep in mind, the brain is the brain of the central nervous system. So the brain sits on top of a brain stem, which extends down in the body through the bones of the, of the spinal column in what's known as the central canal. And it's sort of like you're sticking a garden hose through this other hole, and that garden hole is uh, the spinal cord. Now, the spinal cord, picture this in your mind, is this hose, right? And coming out of the right and left side of it and extending out to the sides are a group of 32 or so nerves all the way down the spine, and those nerves extend into all of your organs. So the brain at the top is the mastermind, and it controls virtually all functions in the body. Not virtually, it controls all functions in the body and all organs, tissues, glands, and cells. And all of those organs, tissues, glands, and cells, they send messages up the wires, back into the spinal cord, through the brain stem, and into the brain as well. And uh, we call this a visceral somatic or somatovisceral phenomenon. And to, to digress for a moment, this is a very interesting thing because I had a patient come in sometime last year, and he kept complaining of low back pain, and he had visited some very good chiropractors and some acupuncturists, even some orthopedic physicians. He had done PT. This guy had done everything. And he was very upset because he couldn't continue his golf game. And uh, I worked him up, and in a, an evening, because the lab abnormality was so off the wall that the lab contacted me, this man had very advanced prostate cancer. So the prostate gland had cancer growing in it and there are some messages sent from his prostate gland up the nerves into the low back. And the that is a reflex. So he had pain in his back which had nothing to do with his back. So those messages from the, the pain messages were, were go all the way up to the brain, and there's a loop of pain and brain interpretation. I give this as one example of how organ problems have to communicate with the brain to give us feedback signals. The same with women, let's say, with uh, ovarian cysts or endometriosis or anything going on, let's say, in the reproductive area. The nerves that allow a person to sense problems actually come from that part of the spine that's right in back of it.
So the organs get disrupted, let's say with disease, and signals go into the spinal cord up to the brain. But if the nutrition of the brain is inadequate, these messages uh, can get very mixed up. Some of us don't even get the right messages, and then we have health problems that have gone to an extreme, and we had no sense of it at all. And sometimes a blood test or imaging test like an MRI or, or a PET scan or some other type of imaging might be needed to figure it out. So in order to promote uh, proper communication between the brain and the organs and the organs and the brain so we can have healthy brain aging, there are, there's some nutrition we need to talk about. So there was a, an, an article, and there have been many studies on this, which talk about how oxidation causes brain aging. And remember, this is the, well, not the last time I'll remind you, but keep in mind that brain aging can look like any of those health problems we spoke about. Again, dementia, bipolar, schizophrenia, autism, autism multiple sclerosis, strokes, uh, aging, accelerated aging, uh, just loss of memory, energy, muscle power, you name it, any organ that atrophies, the brain is not giving the right signals and vice versa. There's basic nutrition we need for all of those because they all have in common the brain and the nervous system. So, because our brain and nervous system is fats, it oxidizes, and that's exactly what happens to a slab of butter you leave in the kitchen on the counter for three days. It oxidizes. That's exactly what happens to the brain. So if you were able to sprinkle vitamin C powder on that slab of butter or infuse some vitamin E in it or selenium or any other number of phytonutrients from plants, you would be able to preserve that butter much, much longer. That's what preservatives are, are, are there to do. So our body and our blood and our cerebral spinal fluid, which is a fluid that surrounds the brain and most of the nervous system, must be rich in antioxidants to offset the brain aging and decay known as oxidation. And then oxidation damages the brain neurons. Those are the cells of the brain. There are mutations uh, that occur in the enzymes which help repair the brain over the course of our lifetime. If those enzymes do not have the proper nutrition, those are, nutrients are called cofactors. They work with those enzymes. Then the DNA breaks down and then we get all kinds of brain syndromes and what are called neurologic alterations. We can lose memory. We can have cognitive decline. So I like to start uh, most of my patients with uh, vitamin E and uh, doing blood levels of E, but not only considering that. Sometimes people need higher levels than what the blood uh, would say is just normal. So I generally start with my vitamin E, 400 units, and I'll give additional vitamin E in the form of a, an activated multivitamin, and I use the multi-mineral concentrate, which contains almost entirely activated nutrients. You want to take activated nutrients whenever possible, and as the name implies, that means the body doesn't have to activate them for you and waste its metabolic energy and stress itself out. You don't want to stress your brain out anymore because the stress turns into oxidation. So oxidation is quite bad uh, for the brain. In addition to uh, vitamin E, which if you're taking any anticoagulant medication, you should not be taking your E or any other nutrients that could thin the blood without talking to your doctor. You might also be careful with probiotics if you're on drugs like Coumadin, because Coumadin is a blood thinner. And probiotics, the healthy bacteria, they produce vitamin K in the colon. And vitamin K is a clotting factor. 
So if you're, if you're on a medication like Coumadin, you don't want to uh, adversely affect it. So all of these recommendations that I'm mentioning, you should not attempt any of them. This is my disclaimer here. Until you talk to someone who knows what they're doing and can base uh, this uh, interesting science and theory and apply it to you. DHA is the most important component, in my view, of the omega-3 fat family uh, for uh, promoting healthy uh, brain recovery and healthy aging. Once again, there is not a special needs condition I can think of, uh, any psychological concern, again, from depression to anxiety, that has not had significant study with uh, DHA. I like to use my DHA liquid because if I start someone off with a tablespoon of liquid DHA as a liquid, and when it's eaten, when it's swallowed, it covers a larger surface area for absorption. So it's absorbed very rapidly in the body. And then it makes its way in part uh, to the brain and the brain cells uptake the DHA. It takes about four months or so to optimize uptake, uptake of DHA, but it does vary from person to person. Now, if someone did not want to take a liquid DHA, which is usually the most convenient for children with any sort of brain issues, then I'll use my Detox Inflam X product between one and two capsules per day. But I like to base, in part, all of my dosing on a food log, on lab testing, and also based upon the uh, person's uh, body composition. So I've mentioned many times in prior shows the fundamental need for every single person, in my view, to have a body composition test. It's also called a bioimpedance test. A mild current is sent through the body. You don't feel anything. And it goes through muscle very slowly because muscle is dense and organ mass is dense. And it is more dense than fat, which is more dense than water. And then that differences, those differences are fed into the computer and separated out. So I can know the exact lean body mass of a person and the percentage in their body of muscle, water, and fat. Now, why would I want to know this? If we know that, in addition to metabolic rate, which this test that I do measures, I can know precisely the baseline calories that this person must have. And depending on the condition and, or health goals, I can even know the uh, amounts, the percentages of the muscle, I'm sorry, the protein, carbohydrate, and fats needed in the daily diet. So that foundation has to be done first, in my opinion. It's really not possible to guess because if you have a quicker metabolic rate than another person, you might burn fats much better uh, and utilize them in the body than, than the person with the slow metabolic rate. And all of the nutritional efforts can be checked with a repeat body composition. I've said in other shows that the body composition test is the single most predictive non-blood test that you can do in a human being that predicts their morbidity and their mortality, meaning their health potential and their risk of early demise from preventable or delayable major killers like heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer. Anything that you do nutritionally, any of the supplements we're speaking about today, foods, what have you, anything that you take 
for it to have a statistical um, benefit or proof of improving your morbidity mortality, it would show up as a body composition test where your lean body mass is improved. Now think of your organs and your muscle. That's the lean body mass. Now think of you aging and that shriveling up and you lose that lean body mass over time. Well, the body mass includes the organs and the organs make all those things we talk about on testing, like blood testing. So if you fix your blood work and it looks beautiful, which could happen, by the way, even when you mess up your lean body mass, it's not a real change. But if you improve your lab work and you're feeling better and you have an improvement in your lean organ mass, your lean metabolic tissue, that is very strongly associated with a very successful longevity uh, potential effort. So it's not enough for us to just take the right nutrients. We need to take the right dose and change it over time. So back to DHA and the, the detox and Flamex, I use these fatty acids as my major form of supplementation. The EPA part of omega-3 fats is not as important. Now, I want to mention right now that one of the ways uh, to help the brain recover and maintain its integrity and its function of all its neurons so that learning is better and improved, that cognitive decline uh, is improved, that dementia is offset, that Alzheimer's disease is offset, that the risk of stroke and cardiovascular events in the brain is greatly reduced, that the progressive nature of various um, neurologic diseases like MS, Guillain-Barre, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or autism or Tourette's or, or Asperger's, in order to offset that and maximize the brain health, one must have these, all of these nutrients I'm discussing today intact. Here's another very key point. It's a clinical point to take away. The best time, it's not the only time, but the best time, particularly in young people, to maximize the effect of nutrition, which is part of our environment, on grain repair and health and integrity so that it doesn't decay worsening all of those conditions and other conditions of the, of the brain that I've mentioned is to make sure we get this nutrition right before the person is 25 years old. So after 25, of course you can improve brain function with nutrition in ma major ways. But the major connections of the nervous system, its structural prowess, you might say, occurs up to age between 23 and 25. Psychologists and psychiatrists and neurologists are the ones that especially know this, this fact. It's a biologic fact. Once again, doesn't mean we cannot do plenty after that age, but that brain development, that early maturation of the brain is very important. For example, with, um, let's say, pot smoking. I'm not claiming to be for or against, but I will mention that we know that the potential destructive natures on the brain of younger people are very well established in my opinion. So if there were a best time to, to smoke pot, that would be after age 25. I have had patients that their levels of oxidative stress were so high upon my testing from pot smoking that I designed them a custom nutritional supplement because of the complexity of their lab issues and effects of oxidation upon the brain. And again, studies have shown that this happens, that they were able to take large amounts of nutrition that reduced 
Well, the large amount of nutrition, I should mention, was produced in a powdered form. So they went from taking something like 40-some-odd capsules and tablets of things to about eight per day because of the, the intelligence of the combination, the synergism. And I produced these things in either vegetable capsules or powders so that it's doable. And then this particular patient had measurably lower and then undetectable levels of oxidative stress. It's thought that a chemical that we can measure in the urine or the blood called malonyl dialdehyde, MDA, is probably the single most important measure in the body of oxidation. So again, oxidation is breakdown, it's inflammation, it's a fire. And that's how all of our organs, tissues, and cells break down. That is one of the major theories of how we age, which includes our brain. So these nutrients help to offset that process. No one is claiming we do not age. But we absolutely can reverse biomarkers of aging like, like lean body mass, like the oxidant malonyldialdehyde, like low levels of vitamin C, uh, and, and we can lower cholesterol. These are all biomarkers. If we make them go in the right healthy directions, we statistically add uh, years uh, of quality and possibly quantity to our brains and our lifespan. Let's talk about vitamin C. There's a very interesting study in the journal Medical Hypothesis that came out in April 2016 and it talks about intravenous vitamin C and how the intravenous vitamin C gets through the blood-brain barrier. That's a protective barrier that surrounds the brain. Not everything gets in it because the body developed that so that various toxins and other things can be regulated and not kill off the brain. Vitamin C in the form of ascorbic acid, like what most of us take in supplements, that does not appreciably penetrate the blood-brain barrier unless, unless, according to the study, well, the study did not say this, but it implies this, that, in, first of all, intravenous vitamin C is a broke, a break, a broke down product or a, a uh, broken down product, I should say, of vitamin C called dehydroascorbate. And that dehydroascorbate helps protect the brain. It even helps prevent, according to the study, ischemic stroke. Can you imagine it? And the article suggests that pre-hospital stroke patients, when, when people are known to have increased risk of stroke, they might receive intravenous vitamin C. Now, I don't think you need to run out and get intravenous vitamin C or have little children with neurologic diseases and special needs getting IV intravenous vitamin C. We know that that broken down product of vitamin C dehydroascorbic acid can be produced in the body when you intake a large amount of vitamin C. So what I do with, with my patients is I will use my detox eliminate buffered vitamin C powder, my detox eliminate buffered C powder, and I have them stay home for a day, and then I have them take a level teaspoon of this highly buffered, that's what we want, form of vitamin C in about two or three ounces of water or dilute juice every 30 minutes. So every 30 minutes they're taking this level teaspoon. And they're doing that until they have a watery diarrhea. And at that point, they stop. That's usually when the levels of vitamin C are sufficiently high enough that they turn from ascorbic acid into dehydroascorbic acid. That's the form of vitamin C that's neuroprotective, that protects the brain. So again, it doesn't matter the condition or what have you that we're dealing with. We have to establish optimal vitamin C levels. Now, once the patient tells me, once you tell me that you've reached the flush, 
the amount of vitamin C you need every day is not that much. It's just under that, about two-thirds. Now, there are reasons why some people should not do this test or take some of the nutrients I'm saying. So again, you don't want to do any of this without consulting a, a qualified healthcare provider. This is for your educational purposes only. And by the way, dehydroascorbic acid has many anti-cancer uh, effects as well. Another fundamental way of protecting the brain, which is needed in any of these neurologic health problems that I've mentioned and many more, is the use of medium-chain triglycerides, MCTs. So you've heard maybe of the ketogenic diet. That was a diet developed by a neurologist some decades ago. And uh, this neurologist was very astute, and he found out that when children ate a high ketogenic diet, which is basically everything unhealthy you can think of, saturated fats and hamburgers and you know meat products and ice cream, saturated fat kind of products, that would raise the ketones. And children with, with seizures would dramatically improve, not all of them, but a very a strong number, a statistically uh, great number of responders to the MCT diet or the ketogenic diet. Ketogenic means ketones. Ketones are the major fuel of the brain. Every other cell, glucose, sugar, simple sugar, glucose is the major fuel, but not the brain. So it's very important to get high levels or optimal levels, what we might call a, an orthomolecular dose. That's a dose of any nutrient that might be high from by some standards, but it's optimal for the person. And that's where we, we use ability to tolerate vitamin C and tolerate zinc and tolerate magnesium. We do these functional tests and we compare them to the lab tests and we look at the food log and we look at the health goal. What do we want to accomplish here? We cannot know what nutrients to give at the proper doses over what period of time unless we have a roadmap. Where are you going. If we know what we want to accomplish, we have to work there. So back to the MCTs. So I use my MCT oil. And depending on the, the weight of the individual, the, 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 the level of the ketones in the blood or the urine, you can measure these things. A person does not have to, to eat that, that unhealthy ketogenic diet. They can eat whatever healthy diet we determine that they need for all of their health issues. And we can supply healthy versions of ketogenic foods, but quite honestly, they're not reliable to raise ketone levels. Not even the ketogenic diet was, was nearly 100% reliable. There have been studies looking at uh, the, the ability of people to maintain these sorts of diets, and it's a failure. But it's ultimately proved in studies, and I've, I've seen this in my practice, that it is absolutely possible, in spite of what someone eats, of course, we want it to be healthy, but we can supplement with ketogenic supplements like medium-chain triglycerides and uh, raspberries. I use my Raspberry Ketone Supreme capsule product, which is a highly concentrated raspberries, which are very ketogenic, and MCT oil to produce ketones at a level that uh, studies and my clinical observations have shown help give the brain the ketones it needs so it can mount a metabolic recovery and maintenance uh, and repair uh, stature. So MCTs protect the brain. They are a must. Again, you can take all the ginkgo you want and vitamin E, and that's important, but DHA oil and 
MCTs along with Keto Raspberry Supreme type supplements. In other words, it doesn't have to be my supplements, but at least you know with me, you know what you're getting. There are a number of, of avenues to affect ketosis. The key ones are what I just mentioned. The usual starting dose of the MCT oil is about a teaspoon to one full tablespoon. The most common side effect of MCT oil is uh, some digestive difficulty, maybe some loose stools. And then if we reach that, we just cut back. For my Keto Raspberry Supreme, it's between one and two capsules, depending on your weight. If you're overweight, you take two capsules. Sometimes we need more. If we were doing testing, we'd be able to tailor it to the testing, and we would know if we're always in ketosis. So any neurologic condition may potentially be benefited by promoting ketosis and using things like MCT oil. And I'd like to make it clear that my nutritional brand, the Blood Detective brand at blooddetective.com, were not used in specific scientific studies. I developed them around the studies and making no claims because I can't know how individuals will react to things. So we have to try. There was a study that looked at the effects of various herbs, a whole list of, of herbs, to slow down or, or curb this particular enzyme known as phosphodiesterase and its role in Alzheimer's disease, which is a form of brain aging of at least the brain stem. That's where we see the major degenerative changes that define Alzheimer's disease. But those same uh, herbs may help protect the brain from any number of things. So there are so many of these uh, plant uh, compounds that have been shown to inhibit this enzyme, which is a good thing because by inhibiting the enzyme, you can help offset Alzheimer's disease. And that's when you, when you want to do it. If you, meaning, if you wait until Alzheimer's disease happens, nutritional, uh, nutrition does not work. It either does not work at all or to infinitesimal amounts. So as a preventative strategy, there is, there is evidence that various nutrients, including the, some of the plant compounds, offset the risk of Alzheimer's d dementia. And by the way, Alzheimer's is very similar to Parkinson's, but once again, uh, the brain is the brain. So what I've done is I've designed uh, my detox, which I spell D-T-O-X, uh, detox one, detox two, detox three, and four products, which have different colors to them. And I use them in um, practically all of my patients to support their general health and nutrition by a half of a scoop of each of them, all mixed together at the same time, diluted to water and taste. They're delicious, and they have lots of lots of uh, phytonutrient herbs in them, which have been studied to be potent uh, antioxidants and uh, brain stabilizers. It's really a shame that these aren't used as a baseline in all uh, all neurologic conditions. So it's up to us to do that. So I started uh, uh, people that I, that I see with these concerns, pretty much everyone actually, with detox one through four because they are basically uh, superfood concentrates. It does, they, nothing replaces a balanced diet, whatever that is, but nutrition in the form of concentrated supplements. This is my argument for why supplements are important too. Foods we don't have to argue that, you know, which is more important, foods or supplements. Why can't we have both? 
Uh, so we figure out the proper diet for the individual, whatever that is, I work on that. And then I supplement their diet with the supplements to help guarantee higher levels of specific compounds for specific effects that may uh, improve brain health. The scientific literature is starting to call the effects of herbs upon the brain phytodrugs, uh, phyto, you know, referring to plants, of course. So phytodrugs, they're calling them now. Most plant products, and my products contain this as well, contain large amounts of what are known as polyphenols. And the polyphenols have been shown to be very protective against all sorts of neurodegeneration. Again, a fancy term for breakdown of the nervous system, including the brain, because of their antioxidant effects, their anti-inflammatory effects, and what's known as their anti-amyloidogenic effects. Amyloid is a breakdown product that interferes and rapidly destroys uh, brain cells and function. And we, uh, many of us accumulate amounts of amyloid in the brain. Now, it's been suggested that the age spots, what they call liver spots, you sometimes see on your hand, those may be correlated with oxidative stress and amyloid deposits in the brain. So if you've got those spots on your hand, you probably have spots in your brain. Either way, we make sure we eat a clean diet. We don't want refined and processed sugars and white flours. We don't want gluten necessarily. If we have issues with GMO, we eliminate that, but we'll have to add much more protein from other healthy sources. And depending on your likes and dislikes, that would be starting lowest down in the food chain in the plant family and then working your way up depending on your philosophy. And uh, my take on all of it in terms of is there a better diet? Should everyone be a vegetarian, for example, or a macrobiotic person? Whatever you want is your choice. My job would be to balance everything else around it. It all can work. And that's important too because many people with forms of brain dysfunction that we've been talking about, they may not be able to radically change their diets enough in the short lifespan that human beings have to make any real difference in the long run. You know, a very common feature that I see among uh, people who are health-minded is that they will start a thing and they will have a reaction to it uh, in a few days that's seemingly remarkable. But when you look back after several months, you notice that it was part of their wishful thinking they, or, or their encouragement or the placebo effect, uh, as you will. I'm interested in actual changes that are reliable. You know, you can eat a food three days ago that creates a delayed allergic reaction and you might get a headache or fatigue or muscle aches and pains three days after. And then you might, on that three, the third day after, eat something else that maybe was new to you. And you associate that new thing as causing your symptoms, but the symptoms were caused by something three days ago. When we try, here's my point, when we try to figure out what a person with any brain-related issue or anyone out there, including myself, that wants to offset the risk of early brain decay and minimal and maximal brain dysfunction, is we want to start things early. You know, the, one of the reasons why uh, many studies on nutrition and drugs are done on animals is, of course, for philosophical reasons, but because the uh, rats, for example, you can breed them and see many generations of rats in a human being, let's say the scientist's lifetime. 
so they can actually see how things carry on through generation to generation with effects of whatever it is they want to test. But human beings, we live way too long. And because of that, for the most part, we do not have very many reliable human studies. We have to apply and see what's applicable from these studies to human beings. So studies are studies, and physicians and nutritionists and holistic people should consider that evidence base uh, as, as fundamental. But then they have to look at the person in front of them. They have to do testing. They have to get clear on goals. And then you ha that's how you figure things out. You don't just take a random bunch of, of supplements, in my opinion. Okay, something else practical. Lactic acid. So I measure lactic acid. And studies have shown that lactate, which is related, is what they call a cerebral, that's a brain, metabolic fuel for a particular enzyme. And they have found that this enzyme, which is called glucose 6-phosphatase, which I measure, can be deficient in many children. If it is deficient in children, that child will be more susceptible to a whole host of health problems, uh, including something I haven't mentioned, glycogen storage disease. But all forms of oxidative stress, because that enzyme's involved in controlling that fire, that oxidation. Now, if there are issues with this enzyme, that the ch and the child is deficient in lactate, and again, lactate is the second most important, it appears to be the second most important brain fuel. Now, we think that lactate helps protect the brain against fuel depletion. The, there's glucose in the brain, and if we don't have enough lactate, the brain can be hypoglycemic. Now, many of you have heard of hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, but a person may have normal glycemia, normal blood, blood sugar, but they may have low blood sugar or be hypoglycemic in the brain. So I check levels of this, and I, of course, figure out a food plan that uh, is much uh, more geared towards uh, balancing overall blood sugar, and that helps translate into brain sugar. I check the level of the glucose 6-phosphate enzyme, and that enzyme is known to uh, be problemsome, leading to vitamin C and glutathione use problems, which is an antioxidant, also B6. Let me go back for a moment and talk about omega-3 fats. I talked about DHA earlier. I want to mention krill oil. So I have a krill oil product, and the thing about krill oil is it is a very potent form of what's known as N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, and the body needs those fatty acids to, to maintain the brain's function and structure, and it helps the brain form something called phospholipids. It has been very well established, I would say. There's sufficient evidence that the omega-3 fats, like krill oil, activate cognitive function in older people. So it would make sense also that they would help to enhance um, brain repair and function in younger people. But krill oil is particularly important when I want to have the majority of the, of, of the omega-3s incorporated into what's called phosphatidylcholine. Uh, that's a form of fatty acid that's particular to krill oil, making it uh, much more effective, the krill oil, than sardine oil, for example. And with krill oil, I'd use generally a one to six capsules per day uh, with a healthy fat food like avocado or raw nuts and seeds. Here's another uh, very fascinating way 
to help offset brain aging. We know that certain proteins, proteins in general, but also whey proteins, and also a combination of balanced amino acids, and also vitamin D with physical activity, have been shown in studies to increase. There was a great study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in March of 2016 that all of these things, proteins, amino acids, vitamin D, and physical activity together, increases what's known as the free fat mass of body and also strength and functionality, enhances the quality of life, and also decreases inflammation, particularly in elderly people. Remember, the problems of elderly people started way earlier. So we want to think of these things earlier. So the protein needs of a person, we figure out either through looking at their food logs relative to their health concerns. And uh, I, again, would want to measure the lean body mass because then you can know very uh, precisely one's protein needs. I usually do supplement with uh, amino acid complete. Uh, that's a product that I've formulated that guarantees specific ratios of certain amino acids in addition to the diet. And then vitamin D, well, I've said this before, the amount of vitamin D we need uh, varies. The range on a blood test of vitamin D is 30 to 100 units. Now, most doctors, anything above 30, they're, they're fine with. But we know that the higher normal the vitamin D, the better for overall morbidity mortality. It's another one of these universally important nutrients. Vitamin D has a lot of roles. It's a neuroprotectant. Neuroprotectant. So... Again, the lower it is, the higher risk of all-cause neurologic problems. It's not enough just to take it. We need the right amount. So I do the blood test. If someone of normal weight it has a level less than 30, then they get 50,000 units of active D3 one time per week for between four and eight weeks, depending on the person. Then I recheck the blood levels. And then if the vitamin D, I want it to approach between 70 and 90, ideally speaking. And then I will give either a, a 5,000 or 6,000, whatever a person needs, and to tailor that so it's perfect. By the way, anyone with a, with a brain issue, whether it's, again, dementia or weakness or some sort of, uh, of other cognitive decline or, or a, a psychogenic or, or a psychological injury or, or illness like depression or anxiety, if they have a history of drinking, you know, alcohol is a brain toxin. And usually the levels of blood uh, tests will show deficiencies in D and the B vitamins, and that causes uh, all kinds of brain decay. So it's very important to look at other habits that a person has had uh, in, their, in their health history, even if it hasn't been recently. If the parents, let's say, or one of the parents of a, of a child with any number of special needs condition had drank too much or smoked or what have you, this could lead to nutritional issues over generations affecting brain development from birth, ending up as a cause of these issues. Sometimes we blame a lot of these special needs issues on the birthing process. Maybe something happened in the hospital. Maybe there was an infection during the, the birthing process uh, gathered uh, from the hospital, what they call uh, an iatrogenic uh, infection, or maybe they use the a forcep technique for removing the baby and they injure the brain. These are all, of course, reasonable possibilities. But a lot of time, and my feeling, my gut feeling, tells me most of the time the, the special needs issues that we see at birth may not be from vaccinations, may not be from hospital-caused issues, but maybe because of the genetics of the parents and nutritional deficiencies and insufficiencies and, and uh, damage to DNA and how cells function that are passed on 
to the developing fetus, embryo, and then uh, child. What can you do about that? Well, we want to start people as young as possible on the right nutrition. I uh, sometimes, uh, well I should say all the time, must have careful consideration when to start supplementation. Uh, you're not going to supplement a newborn necessarily unless they really uh, have determined to need DHA. And that's an oil and that can be somehow supplemented when a breast milk is pumped and then you can add DHA oil into that. So uh, I'm not saying you should run out and do that. You want to talk to your, you know, your your OB or your midwife and or nutritionist. So all of these things uh, need to be done uh, correctly. Moving on to another supplement, uh, ubiquinol is the active form of coenzyme Q10, whose other name is ubiquinone. Now, coenzyme Q10, we know reduces oxidation and increases antioxidant enzyme function in people with various forms of multiple sclerosis. Now, multiple sclerosis is a condition that's probably caused by an infection, maybe metals, some genetics and other causes, but all of those potential triggers and causes cause a destructive change in what's known as the white matter of the nervous system. And the white matter is the covering of the brain and spinal cord. And depending on where that white matter breaks down, remember what I said earlier in the show where you I've had you visualize your body laying over a large brain and how different area of, of where your body would be lying on the brain. That was a part of the brain that controlled a certain part of function. Well, if a person with MS has issues uh, with walking and power, for example, as let's say in both their legs, they would tend to have white matter lesions in an area of the brain called uh, the lateral ventricle, right around uh, the lateral ventricle, what they call peri ventricular lesions are usually seen and they produce the particular symptoms and depending on where those lesions are just like with stroke uh, the, the, wherever the degeneration is in the brain that's where in the body we see issues but back to CoQ10 or the ubiquinol the active form it's about eight times more useful uh, than just the coenzyme Q10 if it works with with MS, then it could work in overall brain degeneration. We all need to protect our white matter. The white matter can be affected by preservatives like sulfites and sulfates. It can be adversely affected by toxins, whether they're metabolic toxins produced in the body or toxins uh, from the environment like cadmium and lead and, and mercury, of course. Our genetics, uh, malabsorptive problems would result in lack of nutrition and reparative nutrition, repairing the myelin. So, although I gave the example of a study on MS, I'll always use CoQ10 with any issues with the brain and I'll use the ubiquinol form. I'll generally start at uh, 100 uh, units twice a day, but again, the dosing is, is varied. Now, I should take a moment to, to summarize a, an important point that Regardless of the type of brain aging, we know that aging of the brain has many causes, uh, nutritional status. And when we talk about nutrition, we also need to think not just about nutritional deficiencies, but also nutritional excesses or nutritional insufficiencies. So again, you have a, a normal level of vitamin D, but a higher amount would be better. So that would be called an insufficiency. Or if you don't have enough vitamin D, you're deficient. And if you have too much, you have an excess. So that example of vitamin D 
was just given so that you realize that the balance and the type and the cause of, of increased nutritional needs uh, need to be determined, and that's how we figure out the right nutrition. So whether we have nutritional deficiencies or excesses of the B vitamins or antioxidants or even glucose, water, blood fats, all of these uh, can lead to changes in, in the brain. Uh, there have been studies that have shown that acute uh, changes in, in mental uh, health status like uh, reduced uh, awareness and attention, disturbances in memory and language and or even perception, uh, all can be related to fundamental nutritional problems like those I've, I've just mentioned. There was a study in the, the uh, journal Annals of uh, Pharmacotherapy that uh, described how Parkinson's disease is associated with vitamin C deficiency. And if you're deficient in vitamin C, which is required for nearly 3,000 enzymes, you're not using a whole bunch of other nutrients as well. Uh, also, Parkinsonism can be related to uh, deficiencies in zinc as well. And zinc's required for nearly 200 different enzymes. Zinc can be uh, quite toxic, by the way, so it's important to uh, carefully measure that and supplement, and supplement with it. The same with vitamin E, which is a fat-soluble nutrient. But because it's fat-soluble, the brain is fatty. That's why it requires vitamin E. So in Neurobiologic Diseases Journal in uh, 2015, they had an article, Vitamin E and Neurodegeneration, they, and they... Uh, their review established the role, the very important role of vitamin E in protecting an area of the brain known as the cerebellum, which has to do with uh, me memory and emotional response and uh, movement. So uh, sometimes I will want the, the level of vitamin E to be higher because higher levels of vitamin E tend to reduce autoimmunity, autoimmune neurologic issues which is, again, too much of a good thing. So higher doses of E tend to suppress that. But lower amounts of vitamin E, between about 400 and 800, tend to increase immunity. So it's very, very subtle how to use some of these nutrients best. In studies and uh, with patients that I've seen that have that suffer from falling a lot or other physical limitations, uh, whether it's confusion or just memory pop problems, uh, those with uh, uh, certain forms of diabetes or even pre-diabetes, the effects of vitamin A and D and E have been shown to uh, improve uh, many of these issues. The doses have to be there, the balance has to be there, and the nutrients have to be in a form that the person can take them. And for some of the doctors out there who uh, sometimes contact me and um, question the uh, the research, I would have you look at the uh, the Journal of Clinical Nutrition. There was a wonderful summary article on April 2005 where they uh, entitled the article, Can Oxidative Damage Be Treated Nutritionally? And they found that antioxidant uh, micronutrients have beneficial effects in many of the uh, the models used in the studies and, and disease of the brain and also in the general population, even in critical illness. And they said they supported the use of further research, which is always a determination. We need to use these things sometimes. The level of safety is uh, tremendous. Low levels of uh, vitamin K, different forms of vitamin K, uh, to move on to a different nutrient, have been shown to be low in many elderly patients with early-stage Alzheimer's disease. So here's another example how it's very, very important to take the nutrient early in the condition, if not before. 
Sorry for that delay. It seems that the lower consumption of green vegetables in the participants in this Alzheimer's studies, that's what explained their overall low vitamin K intakes and all of their uh, uh, physical and uh, cognitive limitations with remarkable responses. Let's talk about acetylcarnitine. So I use acetylcarnitine as well because it's been shown in studies to reduce uh, what's called a cellular stress response and helps to repair what are called longevity genes. You know, whether we're talking about overall human aging or, or just brain aging, we know that all of these issues seem to have in common inflammation and oxidative stress. And we know that acetylcarnitine, the active form of the amino acid carnitine, particularly when used with omega-3 fatty acids like uh, DHA oil or uh, the detox in Flamex or, or krill oil, uh, tend to contribute to what's known as a cytoprotective state, uh, a greater uh, resiliency of, of cells against what's known as a heat shock response. So acetyl-L-carnitine has been shown to specifically target this heat shock response, which promotes uh, aging. So it's an, a sort of an anti-aging or longevity consideration. So there was a wonderful study in, in February of 2006 in the Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry, and they, sh they reviewed the evidence uh, for the role of acetyl-L-carnitine in modifying that oxidative stress, that's called redox-dependent mechanisms for the physicians out there, uh, leading to improvement in the vitality of the brain. So generally, I'll supplement that between 500 and 1,000 uh, milligrams per day, uh, eaten with a protein. We have time for a few more practical uh, nutrients for brain health. Uh, let's talk about natural food folic acid and depression. It was found in a study of the Journal of Nutrition in the Elderly that the naturally occurring uh, food folate, when it was low, we had much higher amounts of depression. Even when they controlled for the age, the sex, and the race of the participants in the study. It's really important, though, that we use an active form of folic acid because if the body cannot activate foliage, the folic acid from foliage, that's a stress. We need folic acid for many functions from neurotransmitter production to repair of DNA through something called methylation. I measure these MTHFR genes which, which teach us a little something about methylation. So I use my product active folate which also contains the methylated B12 that works with the methylated folic acid, the active forms. And I'll base this, I like to have the blood levels a bit higher than the normal ranges. You want to take the active B12 and folic acid together with the activated B6 because if you don't have enough B12 to balance out folic acid, you can actually cause permanent neurologic damage known as neuropathies. But folic acid, particularly in extremely high amounts of the active form, uh, it, there's a drug called Deplin, which is basically, well, it's only a very super high dose of hundreds of folic acid pills. And we know that it helps depression either on its own or it's commonly used as an adjunct along with other uh, antidepressants. I should mention that Problems with methylation, which is controlled by these methylation uh, genes, have been found in, again, MS patients, those with thyroid issues, with so many varied issues, all the special needs uh, uh, conditions, uh, but not necessarily every one. 
And these genes mean that these individuals, even if they eat the right nutrients, the right folic acid, B12, B6, even if they ab absorb it well, they may not activate it well. If you give them the non-activated B vitamins like folic acid and B12, their stressed out genetic methylation ability fails. So we have to give them the methylated genes. So I'm going to end here and announce that the next show is going to be on the topic of how to figure out the best diet. So I'm going to call that show The Best Diet. I'll be talking about strategies and ways that you can figure out the best diet or the closest way for you to eat for your health issues and goals. I want to thank everyone for listening today. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm uh, the Director of Longevity Me uh, Nutrition at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco. If you have questions or you want to see me as a patient, you can call 914-242-8844. And you can go to my website at www.blooddetective.com or www.integratednutritionny.com. Please email me your show topics. You want to know about the best diet? Now we're going to do it. You want to know about the brain? Now we're going to do that. So email me at info at blooddetective.com. And I'll talk with you all very soon. Show me.